It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 332 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams with Locked On Fantasy and Locked On NBA as well. Uh, and you can find those all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. If it sounds like I'm rushing through this intro, it's because it's an emergency podcast. Um, and there's lots of stuff to get into because Dwayne Casey has been fired by the Toronto Raptors, which is a move that I think some people maybe saw coming, maybe not this soon, maybe not at all. But to break it all down, I'm joined by a uh, frequent guest of the show and friend, James Herbert. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on on extremely short notice. It's uh, As I was telling you off air, I was in the middle of a nap and got like 500 texts saying that Dwayne Casey had been fired, and uh, I guess I got thrust into action recording a bunch of stuff and uh yeah it's uh it kind of got me it caught me off guard i gotta say i wasn't expecting it to be this soon i guess if you're like in the business of getting rid of a coach you got to do it soon enough because there's different assistants and stuff out there that you gotta make sure you're gonna get interviewed and hope they don't get snapped up if there's a guy you really want but i don't know what was your reaction to seeing Dwayne casey being let go by the raptors I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I mean, the, the signs were sort of there. The only thing that kind of surprised me was they held that joint press conference where Casey talked, then Masai talked, and yeah. then to to fire him this soon after that, like, it almost felt like, why did they bother doing that, you know? Um, but, I mean, the other side of that is maybe Masai, like, genuinely didn't know. Yeah. Like, he could have had a meeting with Casey last night or early this morning, and, I mean, USA Today's uh, Jeff Zilgit reported that Casey was seeking a contract extension. And if one side was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to bring you back, and the other one was saying, I'm not coming back without an extension, then you can see how <laughs> things could go sideways fast. And may- maybe that's the reality. Um, I I think it, it's, it's interesting because the immediate reaction on Twitter that I saw was a lot of people basically jumping on Team Dwayne, mm-hmm. And saying, how could you let go of this guy? It's not his fault. He's the fall guy. Patrick Patterson said he was a scapegoat. Uh, You have a lot of people defending his record with the Raptors. And it's an easy record to defend when you're looking at the regular season results, at least. I mean, I think it's quite clear he's the best coach in franchise history. uh, He's presided over the best run the Raptors have ever seen. But 
it was a little weird for me to watch all that when, like, I mean, you even tweeted directly about this. Like, a couple of days ago, all anyone was doing was laughing at the Raptors, saying they were pathetic, and saying they were humiliated, and saying everything needed to change. So while yeah. something big changed, and now suddenly everybody's shocked by it, I don't I don't really get it. Like, this, this didn't catch me by surprise. Yeah, I mean, look, like, Team Dwayne, as you mentioned, is very easy to jump on. He's a very likable dude. He's been great for the Raptors. Yep. He... You know, without him, I don't think the Raptors get to the point they're at today where they're firing him because they've lost three straight times to LeBron James in the playoffs. Like, I, I think he's done a, a very admirable job, and he is, I think, probably without question, one of the better big-picture coaches in the league. I mean, the relationships that he's managed, the way that he turned Kyle Lowry from sort of this guy who was uncoachable at one point in his career into a guy who wanted to stay with the Raptors two separate times as a free agent. Maybe the second time was more market-based, but either way... Um, you know, I think that speaks volumes of his ability to sort of connect with players. And I think the regular season success is no, like, no, it's not, it's not a coincidence. Like he does a really good job of defining roles for guys and sort of hammering those into guys over the course of a full season. And that leads to a team that's really hard to guard on on random regular season nights. And the bench was such a a force this season, a lot of it, which because, you know, Casey saw that five-man group that really worked together, said, all right, we're just going to run you guys out there. I'm not going to worry about staggering anymore. We're going to save Kyle Lowry for the playoffs that worked out really well this season too and like I think a lot of the growth with this team is directly tied to Dwayne Casey but for people to be so shocked I mean people have been calling for Casey's job for like five years whether it's Raptors fans or you know people outside the organization people outside just like as you know neutral observers like Casey's not always been critically acclaimed as a coach and there have definitely been some weaknesses and we've seen them in the playoffs and we saw them this year you know there was just a piece like yeah. two days ago on the ringer that everyone lauded uh, i think by jonathan charks about how ty Lue was coaching circles around Dwayne casey and everyone was like yeah the this makes that piece sense directly called for casey to be fired yeah and, that's, like, that's, <laughs> and everyone yeah. was like yeah this piece is great it makes so much sense and then for this to happen and people for me to like to be surprised or like man can't believe Masai is doing this like I, I get it i understand it sucks because casey's been such a staple of the franchise but I do yeah. think seven years, like, there, there's there's got to be some sort of buildup of, you know, whether it's just baggage between players or whatever or, front, or the front office. Like, you know, seven years is a long time. Maybe it's just time to change the message. And I'm sure this decision is not coming just because Masai said, woke up this morning and was like, oh, man, got to get rid of Dwayne. That's the decision. Like, I'm sure he's talked to Dwayne. I'm sure he's talked to Kyle and Damar and guys on the team as well. And taking all those opinions mm-hmm. into 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 account when he's into coming to this coming to this decision, and like it's again, like I don't think it's all that surprising. And I, honestly, how much do you think this changes anything if it does at all? Because that's where I was kind of coming kind of coming down on the whole fire Casey, don't fire Casey thing. Is that like you can fire him all you want? I don't really think it changes much in this grand scheme of like the the LeBron question because I'm not sure any coach is scheming around LeBron, but. I don't know. Do you think this changes anything depending on the candidate they bring in? Well, let's see what Brad Stevens does in this next round before we say that no coach is scheming him. Um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I think there's so many ways we can take this. Uh, to directly answer your question, I don't think it changes that much, um, but I don't think this is going to be the only domino that falls. Mm-hmm. I think Masai is going to evaluate literally everything. I think he'll probably listen to trade offers for everybody in his starting lineup aside from OG Ananobi. Yeah. I think this team could look very different next year, potentially. Um, but I, I also think, like, look, I mean, we can talk about the playoff stuff, and we can get to that. And we can talk about this season and the 59 wins and the culture reset, and, like, should that be enough for him to keep his job? How do you weigh that against the postseason, blah, blah, blah? I don't have great answers to those questions. But I, I think we, we don't have to just look at this year. 
let's look at the whole picture. I think the fact that he lasted this long is a minor miracle. Most mm-hmm. coaches last, what, two, three, maybe four years if they're lucky. Yeah. Uh, in the modern NBA, uh, he has survived um, a general manager change, which almost no one survives. Mm-hmm. He has survived clashing with his team's best player, which almost no one survives. <laughs> he was almost fired um, after they were swept by the Wizards. He came very close to losing a first-round series against the Indiana Pacers, which definitely would have had him fired. Mm-hmm. He there, there were calls for him to lose his job last year after they were swept by the Cavs, and I don't think anybody would have been shocked if that happened. Uh, he was given another chance. I mean, we're leaving out other stuff, too. Like, he, he has survived complete overhauls of his assisting, assistant coaching staff. Um, I think he had a really great run. Mm-hmm. I think he has an awesome resume now will get another job either this summer or next if i was him i would wait and get paid for the final year and take it next year <laughs> but i mean this is a guy that like hardly sleeps and is obsessed with basketball and is a lifer um so i wouldn't be surprised if he ended up with another job now uh, but i just think this isn't just about the failings of the raptors this year i think when you look at casey's overall picture like this is a great success for him this is a guy that before he took this job um, he had had multiple, like, he has a very weird coaching arc, I'm sure most of your listeners know, mm-hmm. um, but sort of got the short end of the stick in Minnesota. Um, th- he had stops overseas. Um, he ended up rebuilding his reputation sort of in, in Seattle and, and eventually winning that title in Dallas got him this job. But, I mean, he has had a really fascinating, long, up-and-down career and now he's established himself as a top tier coach, and th- this is this is a really cool story to me. And like, I have gripes about some of the stuff he's done in the playoffs. I, I think he is an imperfect coach, but I think most coaches are. Um, I think he was the right coach to take the Raptors from where they were. I mean, when he started, he had Andre Andrea Bargnani as his number one option, his <laughs> starting centers. He had like Aaron Gray and Jamal McGlure that he was trying to lose it, to use at center. They they were awful, and. He made that team into a halfway decent defensive team, which I I remember being in Toronto and everybody thinking that was incredible. And through there, they've gotten better pretty much every season. Uh, developed DeMar um, in a way that I'm not sure most franchises would have done. I'm not sure most franchises would have stuck with him. Um, and he survived the team almost being blown up and then guided them to the playoffs. And then it, it's pretty much been an upward trajectory from there with some mishaps in the playoffs. So... It's it's interesting when you look at the big picture. Like, does that all mean you just have to stick with him forever? No. Like, there, there comes to a point um, where Masai said it in his press conference yesterday where he was talking about how do we evaluate the, the last five years and how do we look at the next five years. And, mm-hmm. and I think when he's thinking of the next five years, when the team is probably going to change significantly and they're going to give more of the reins to the younger players, um, I think he just decided they needed somebody else in charge. And I don't think that's uh, an indictment of Casey, of Casey and his coaching style. And I don't think this is saying that the front office is doing something that is so reprehensible and unfair. Um, I think you can argue it's not totally fair for, for what Casey accomplished this year. But I think you can also say it was a fair expectation that they do much better than they did uh, against the Cavs in the second round. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. 
but there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, like, I, I feel for Casey, for sure. And again, like, I was very on the fence, and I would have been fine if he was back. I'm, I'm fine. that I've accepted that, you know, moving on from him might be the, the move as well. And I honestly think it kind of speaks to how well Casey did as sort of a big picture guy that we're at this point with the Raptors where they might have to go for more of an in-game tactician type guy. Because like when Casey first came, like they absolutely needed a guy like him who could instill habits and sort of build a culture. And he did that to great effect over seven years. But now you're at the point where you keep running into this LeBron wall and maybe it doesn't matter if you have an in-game tactician who can sort of outduel a, a LeBron team. But I do think it would give you a better fighting chance. And Casey has always been a guy who, you know, this has been the criticism for years and that, you know, he's not the best in-game guy. He'll do, you know, nice adjustments in between games. And it saved the Raptors' asses in some series before that Milwaukee right, series right. comes to mind in particular when he made the norm starting lineup change uh, midway through that series. And it completely just solved the series for the Raptors. But... Like, I, I think the in-game stuff has always been an issue. The sort of the in-game adjustments and rotations have, you know, sometimes come back to bite the Raptors in certain points in games. And in a playoff series, when it's seven games at most, like, there's not that much of a margin for error. And you can't really be spending a half trying to figure things out. And, you know, maybe part of that goes to Casey not experimenting all that much in the regular season because, you know, he stuck with his rotations. Although this season, I think you have to credit him. He experimented a lot more. The, the part of the reason with the, the part of the problem with the Raptors this season was they had two lineups that you knew everything about, but then everything else was just like him screwing around with stuff. And there wasn't a lot of data on a whole bunch of lineups, but there was, you know, small samples on like a million different lineups that in theory could have worked. But yeah, I think the playoff in-game stuff is something that is a bit of a bugaboo. And considering where the franchise is now... One of Casey's favorite words, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to miss Casey's so much. Uh, The ways to skin an apple, all that stuff. That's, I think, the thing I'm going to miss most. (laughs) But um, I think considering the way the franchise has come since 2011-2012 where it feels like it's more of a self-sustaining culture than it was back then. Like, back then you might have needed a figurehead like Casey to sort of be the culture, but honestly, I think at this point with Masai at the top and just sort of the way they've gone about things, they've won 50 games, they've had a great developmental program, they're, they're a bottom-up sort of thing now where they have the G League and Jerry Stackhouse and, you know, everything kind of feeds into one another and it just feels like more of a sort of healthy organism as a franchise as opposed to back in 2011 when when Dwayne Casey was hired I feel like this is a bet on sort of the culture that Casey is directly responsible for helping build that they can move away from a guy who does excel at the big picture stuff to a guy who's maybe more tactically proficient but I don't know do you think that is sort of if that were to be the case do you think that's a fair reason for for this move to be made by Masai yeah I think the whole (laughs) Like in a way, um, he's he's almost like it's almost like his his success set him up to fail because 
you could look at this roster over the past few years, not just this year, certainly this year, but not just this year. Mm-hmm. And you could say, I don't know if that team should really be um, a top tier team in the Eastern Conference, yeah. right? Like, I think in a way, he he really had these teams playing at a level that's more than the sum of their parts. He was doing things pretty unconventionally in terms of, um, I mean, before this year, the way their offense was running. Um, this year's a little more conventional with where the league is, but I mean, to, to have a top offense anyway, the way they were doing it showed um, a certain amount of adaptability. Um, and the way he convinced the Stars to go with things differently showed a different kind of adaptability. I think he consistently was able to drill pretty good habits into these guys, and I, I don't think um, I don't think he's a bad tactician either. Mm-hmm. I just think when you raise expectations like you do, um, when you are that top seed, when you have long winning streaks, when you never have long losing streaks, when everybody's talking about you, um, when you speak about the, the different style you play and how it should translate better, and you're putting all this pressure on yourself. And I don't think his teams have handled pressure well at all in, in like postseason after postseason. I think they, they have gotten stuck. They have been slow to adjust. The adjustments have come, and they've been smart. But, I mean, you can go back um, year after year, whether it's, like, not starting P.J. Tucker until it was way too late against LeBron last year, whether it was, like, keeping Luis Scola in the starting five mm-hmm. um, and we're to the point where, like, fans are just, like, screaming. Like, <laughs> it's – you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's – once the expectations are that high, the margin for error becomes that much slimmer. Mm-hmm. And in the playoffs, more was expected. And that's 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 a credit to how good the team got under him. But now it's at a point where they have to really look hard at this and they can say, what will get us over the hump? And this is something that Casey himself has talked about. I did a big feature last year. It was like it came out the day that they got Serge Ibaka. And mm-hmm. it was sort of stressful because... I had written it before they got him, and I had to like change it after they got him. I think you were on the show that day, um, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been, the, yeah, yeah, it might have been on the show that day. Um, but I, I just remember talking to Casey for that story, and I was trying to get him to reflect on his first year and how far they've come, and like what the mission was now. And and he like he gave me the line he's given so many times, like the hardest thing to do in the NBA is to go from good to great. Mm-hmm. And I think the unfortunate thing that happened to him was all the statistical indicators throughout this season, the way that they played, painted a picture of a team that was great. Perhaps it was only good. Yeah. Like, and and now the question is, how can they actually take that next step? And I don't think that just changing a coach will do it. I think they flat out need more, like, star talent. Um, and they probably need a shakeup of sorts, too. So we'll see what else Masai has up his sleeves. Um, but I don't particularly have a problem with this decision, I'm not surprised by it. I think the the playoff shortcomings this year, um, it, it wasn't. Is what I'll say. It wasn't that they lost to the Cavs. It was the way they lost to the Cavs. It was getting yeah. embarrassed again, getting humiliated again, um, coming up short in Game One the way they did, and then like continually referring back to that as like, oh no, if we had just won Game One, at, like <laughs> you had three more games. Like, there's no excuse for not having your head right after that. Like. You, you, you've gone through this so many times like those those battle scars that they keep talking about having to build it's like you should have some by now um, yeah. they've been through this so I, I think something really had to change and whether it was um, 
breaking up the core, changing the coach, or both. I think Masai really found himself at a point where he could justify anything, and this is what he chose to do. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and I mean, I've been on this podcast for the last like week just like hammering. like I, I'm okay if they run it back and bring back the same players. Uh, understanding that there's a ceiling that comes with that, I just think like being pretty good is far preferable to the dice roll that is sort of blowing it up and hoping you find a star, especially when the back end of your roster is already probably good enough that you might not be able to tank quite correctly and you end up in the, yeah, the, I, the zone where you really don't want to be. Tanking is not an option with this group. No, it's not. And, you know, so I'm fine with that. And maybe what they do need is just a fresh set of eyes for the same core. And I'm not sure. I think Casey deserves a lot of credit for milking most of the possible potential out of both Kyle and DeMar and turning them both into perennial all-stars and having a big hand in that. But like, maybe a new, you said he's not a bad tactician. You said he's, and, and honestly, I think the way you say it, like it's it's hard, the hardest jump to make is from being a good coach to a good team to a great team. That can apply to coaches as well. Like It's hard to go from being a good coach to a great coach as much as Casey might have gone from being a mediocre coach to a good coach. like I think there's still some growth there, and tactically, maybe a fresh set of eyes is what you need. And on that topic, I mean, Budenholzer has been already rumored by Mark Stein. Nick Nurse, Jerry Stackhouse seem like the obvious in-house candidates, although I'm not super sold on Stackhouse if they're going to try to run it back and be very good. I think if you're going to blow it up, do Stackhouse try to build the same sort of thing you did from the ground up with Casey back in the day, but uh, that might be a little bit tough. If you're looking at a candidate, maybe it's someone that hasn't been mentioned. Like, who do you think the Raptors should be targeting right now? I mean, I like the nurse thing makes sense to me. Yeah, and he, he has been rumored at different times, <laughs> uh, not just now to take over. Yeah. Um, Budenholzer is really interesting because he comes with a sterling reputation. I think if you're just looking at who's available. Um, you'd probably say he's the, the, the best of the veteran coaches, depending on, I mean, you, you could argue Stan Van Gundy, but I, I'd be shocked if he came to Toronto. Um, I think Budenholzer's interesting, but my problem with that is, like, you're replacing a great regular season coach with the great regular season coach. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, it just, it feels like a lateral move to me. Um, it's not like an up-and-comer who could bring like something real fresh into the organization could develop with the team uh you're you're taking a guy that has a specific style um his style happens to jive with like what Masai has wanted and what they finally did this year right mm-hmm. so that's good but i don't know it seems weird when you look at how the hawks went out against the the lebron led Cavs um to to hire somebody with that experience on his resume right like that just it just seems odd to me yeah. And and I'm a guy that has advocated in, in writing for Budenholzer to get like a bunch of different jobs that I thought he'd be great for. I'm just not sure this is a, the right fit. Um, nurse kind of makes more sense to me just based on, um, you know, giving a really smart guy his, his first shot in the NBA, somebody who the players are already familiar with. Um, I'm not sure you want to, to, to do it, a, a, like, earth-shattering move here. Mm-hmm. Um and I think he's been, you know, he's been waiting his turn. Like, he was rumored to get head coaching jobs years ago. He was on Kevin Arnovitz's list of up-and-coming 
assistance, I think, multiple times. And um, that that kind of makes the most sense to me. But here's the thing. Like, you named a few guys. We have no idea oh, no. who Masai might be thinking about. <laughs> like, every GM has a list, whether or not that list is just in his head or, like, codified somewhere. Um, everybody knows who they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So we're going to find out, I imagine, pretty soon. Who are the guys that Masai is actually thinking about? It might it might really come out of left field to to Raptors fans. Um, but based on what we kind of know now, like I think Nurse is probably my preferred hire. I'm with you there. I think it's a perfect mix of a guy who's more tactically renowned and a guy who, yeah, he he's got knowledge of the organization. He knows Kyle Demar and then like has at least some sort of basis of a relationship with those guys, like. The thing about firing Casey and the fact that he is a very good coach, like you're not guaranteed to get a better coach as the replacement. Like that's just part oh. of the risk, right? And there is a there is a risk that the new guy doesn't connect with Kyle and Demar, and there's an issue there. Maybe Kyle and Demar were in on the whole idea of moving on from Casey as well. Like I mentioned, like you, we don't know what was said in exit interviews and stuff like that. Maybe they were ready for a new voice as well, but. Uh, I mean, you know, you're not guaranteed to get a better coach, like grass greener and all that stuff. But um, I think Nurse, just the mix of what he brings to the table and also just sort of the institutional sort of knowledge he has. And just like, you don't want to totally go out of your way to destroy the foundation that Casey built because like it is a pretty desirable organization right now and they're set up pretty well. And and, and just to to get rid of, to have Nurse not get the job, I feel like you risk losing Nurse entirely and maybe you don't want to do that. Um, for some sort of outside hire who's going to bring in a whole bunch of new faces. You know, you got Rex Kalamian, you got Jama, you got, you know, Patrick Matumbo on the up. Like, you have a lot of up-and-coming coaching prospects that you have within your within your team right now. Same goes for Stackhouse, that maybe just sort of keeping the assembly line going and becoming that sort of team is something more desirable than just going outside the, outside the team and finding someone brand new. And I, I'm with you on the Budenholzer thing, I think, I don't like retreads as it is, as, as successful as he was with the Hawks before he bungled it as the GM. Um, I, I, I don't love the idea of retreads. I, I just like bring in some new eyes, some fresh faces. I'm okay with that. I don't know if someone like there's a million Spurs assistants, obviously, that'll be thrown around and some others as well. But um, yeah, I think Nick Nurse, it doesn't have to be too cute or, or fancy from Masai. Like Nick Nurse makes tons of sense to me. Um, anything else that we missed or should we hit on before we wrap this thing up here? Do you think we've covered it? I guess, I guess the question is, do you think this means that like, if you had to guess and we don't know, things can change, but if you were to guess right now, what do you think firing Casey means for Kyle and DeMar as far as like being with the team next season? Uh, I think if they're back, then it, it's sort of a wake up call. Like we are not happy with the status quo. We are making sure you guys know, like, this is not acceptable, <laughs> just getting, just bowing out like this in the second round again. But as for, like, whether that means they'll be back, I don't know that it has any effect on that. I think the big variable based on, uh, uh, the big variable in terms of, like, who will be back is what the market actually is. Yeah. Because, look, those guys are really good players. Um, they also make a lot of money. Yeah. And Kyle plays a position uh, that is pretty stacked throughout the league. And Demar plays a role um, that I'm not sure that many teams are really looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really tricky. Like those guys, if they're back, I think it says more about like them having more value to the Raptors than they do to other teams than it says about like what Masai's grand plan is. I think he has to keep his options open. He has to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
last summer, I think most of us thought Jonas Valanciunas would be traded. And if not traded in the summer, then traded before the deadline. There, there were never good deals for him. So he ended up having more value to the Raptors than he did for anyone else in the league. He ends up getting a lot better this past season, being a really useful player. But does that mean that like the Raptors were ever totally committed to him? Like I don't like I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not sure they're 100 percent committed to their stars either. But they're not going to make a deal just to make a deal. Yeah, that makes sense. I honestly I don't mind the idea of bringing them back for one more year, one more kick at it with a different coach, and then if it doesn't work out again, you're you have a bit more flexibility in terms of you know maybe being able to sell a team on taking on Kyle's deal when it's an expiring. Same with Serge. Uh, DeMar one year closer to expiring maybe that's more attractive um, and then maybe you're a little bit more optimistic about what you have in guys like OG and Siakam after another year and you can kind of evaluate those guys as to what you think they're eventually going to be after one more year like I, that's the thing about this whole thing is that the Raptors were so good this season and the young guys were so good and the culture reset worked so well that it moved the goalposts and like I think if the Raptors don't win 59 games this year oddly enough Dwayne Casey's probably not getting fired this summer right like they were ahead of schedule yeah. they were supposed to sort of take this season to be more of a transitional year before next year became you know I think the next all-in year for the for this window and they were so good this season that obviously things change and expectations move and uh, you come across LeBron when you're favorites in Vegas, and that leads to uh, stuff like this happening. But you know, it's uh, things change, man. Things change really fast. So I, I think I'd be okay with one more year with this core and see what happens. But if not, like eh, I, I could sell myself on getting excited about a rebuild too, I suppose. But I, I just don't think it's really that feasible with the contracts that are on the books and the value you're going to get back for them. So. Um, I think that's a decent place to leave it, though, James. Do you have anything you would like to plug right now? Uh, not really. I'm just. I've been writing a lot of columns on games, and I did like a sort of how the Rockets can beat the Warriors type deal. Uh, I wrote about the Stan Van Gundy era, and I'll have something up on Dwayne and the Raptors at some point today. Um, so yeah, no like big features or anything, but uh, just been. Just been grinding, as they say. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will definitely have you on again soon. Follow James at Outside the NBA. Uh, you can subscribe, rate, review to Locked on Raptors on iTunes as well. Probably it for this week in terms of episodes. We'll be back again next week, uh, unless anything else crazy happens over the weekend that deserves an emergency podcast. But uh, until then, subscribe, rate, review, as I said. It's very helpful. And uh, James, man, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.